Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. This is... Are these books drunk? We're so in sync now, Ed. Yes, we are. I'm Brandy. I'm Emma. And I'm Mariana. This is your book club with a twist, and we are your happy hour girlfriends. This month, we're reading a riveting fictional novel, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Chicas, I am having such a hard (laughs) time putting this book down. I know. Yeah. I am so captivated by Evelyn's story and all the old Hollywood glamour that comes along with it. Seriously. Last week, we discussed how truthful Evelyn is being as she is retelling what really happened behind the scenes, which led us to honestly question our comfortability with our profession as actresses and what potential stardom entails. Mm. We came up with our own theories as to why Evelyn has chosen the young and bright Monique to write her timely biography. I gotta say, I'm respecting and liking, well, loving this book (laughs) and these characters. (laughs) Now, can we pretty please dive deep into everything that has happened? Yeah. Secrets are being revealed. I know. (laughs) What's on the menu for us, Ems? Well, I'm so glad you asked. There isn't much to say, actually, about today's cocktail, (laughs) except that it's delicious. This drink tickles my taste buds, just like a night out at the casino on the Sex in the City slot machine. (laughs) Huh? (laughs) Today's cocktail is called... A Night in Vegas. Woo, 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 woo. Yeah. Well, this drink is named for that infamous night in Vegas with Evelyn and Mick. Her experience, sadly, was not as satisfying as this drink is. <laughs> Here to share the recipe for this winning cocktail is our dealer <laughs> bartender. Oh, boy. You oh like that? She went all oh, in yeah. on this. She did. <laughs> she did. Ricardo, come on down. Ciao, ladies. Welcome to the bar. Hola. Hi. How are you? Great. Fantastic. Good. No one How's is How's it going? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. Thanks. <sighs> okay. <sighs> so, the cocktail of today is called A Night in Vegas. Mm. Yeah. A Night in Las Vegas. So uh, it's a very easy cocktail, but it's very refreshing and super easy to drink. And it's super dangerous. Super boozy to drink. <laughs> yes, <laughs> super dangerous. Oh boy. It's a very easy cocktail to make because we are gonna muddle a couple ingredients first and then we are gonna shake and strain over ice. So regular cocktail. The ingredients for these cocktails are an ounce and a half of vodka. Three quarters of an ounce of mezcal, three quarters of uh, fresh lime juice, three quarters of uh, simple syrup, a pinch of salt and pepper, uh, a little bit of cilantro, and uh, a couple of cucumber slices. As I mentioned before, we are going to put cucumber and cilantro with a little bit uh, of liquid. You can choose. I I put both uh, the simple syrup and the lime juice. And mm. then I muddle them together so it's easier to squeeze a little bit the juice from the from the cucumber and okay. uh, you're gonna have like less residual of the actual cucumber because you're right. not making a puree. 
uh, you pour all the other ingredients, ice, shake over ice with uh, uh, a little bit of care of not putting the uh, salt and pepper on the rim of the glass, but mm. on the ice that we're gonna have in our glass uh, for a couple of different reasons, but we don't want like that margarita taste uh, that mm -hmm. every sip is with the uh -huh. salt. Mm -hmm. If you're putting in on the ice of the cocktail, you every sip of the cocktail is gonna be different. Sometimes it can be just pepper, sometimes it can be salt and pepper, sometimes it's just gonna be like straight the spirit. So it's nice because it change the cocktail changes over time. Mm, and that's interesting. A, a nice in Vegas. So this drink is a lot like Vegas because it's light and fun at first, but then afterwards you realize you're in trouble. Yes, it punches <laughs> you in the face. <laughs> but remember, what happens in Vegas stays, stays in, Vegas. in Vegas. It stays in Vegas. <laughs> yes, not always. Not oh. always. Oh, I want to hear that story. <laughs> okay. So enjoy your drinks, ladies, and a la vostra salute. Gracias, Thank Ricardo. You, Ricardo. Ciao. Fabulous. Bye. Bye. All right, women. Cheers. Cheers. Salud. Oh, I love this so much. I know. Same. But just a few sips in, and I'm like, I'm almost, I'm almost there. That's good. Oh. This will be a fun one. <laughs> I'm so scared because all my pepper is sunk to the bottom, so I'm so oh, scared when oh. I get to the bottom of this. It's just going to be like... Oh, <laughs> you're not drinking with a straw. I am not drinking with a straw. <gasps> I just lost my cucumber. Oh, no. <laughs> I have to say the salt and pepper thing was something that intrigued me so much about this cocktail. I freaking love it. That little touch of pepper oh. is so... Oh, good. Yeah, it's a nice surprise. It just adds a nice little bit of mm, like spiciness or something. Yeah, Ricardo nailed this. All right, well, let's get into the spiciness of this story. Oh, huh? okay. oh. This week, we find out who the great love of Evelyn's life was, mm -hmm. the super talented Celia St. James. After Evelyn discovers that Don is cheating on her, she leaves him and embarks on a very secret relationship with Celia. Evelyn is blackballed from the industry by Don and the studio and ends up cunningly clawing her way back to fame after appearing in a French film and suggesting a tiny tweak to it that puts her back on the map. When Harry leaves the studio, the two pair up on a new movie, Anna Karenina starring Evelyn. And when rumors start to swirl in the press about Evelyn and Celia, Evelyn runs off to Vegas Hey now, mm -hmm. with a musician and charms him into an elopement that they agree to annul the next morning. It cools the rumors off, but unfortunately, it also destroys Evelyn and Celia's relationship when Evelyn realizes that she's pregnant. Wow. And Monique makes a power move in an attempt mm -hmm. to save her job, an ultimatum. Mm -hmm. Evelyn must either tell her when she'll be able to publish the book or she must agree to an article and a photo shoot for Vivant. Evelyn hesitantly agrees to the article. Hmm. Damn, there's a lot that happens in these so chapters. Much. We do say that every week, I think, but like that's because we know. got these good books, yo. 
That's the thing. But she's made so many moves this week, I feel like, to Mm -hmm. save her career. She fakes her inability to have children to get the press off her back. She comes up with a brilliant idea for the French film that not only keeps her clothes on, but it also makes her a star again. Because everybody likes to be teased. Exactly. (laughs) She hatches a scheme to clear herself and Celia of any suspicions about their relationship. Mm -hmm. She gets an abortion Mm -hmm. and she marries her fourth husband. (laughs) Third. Did I miss anything? Fourth. Well, no. At the end of these chapters, we hear about the fourth one, Count Franz. She marries right, 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 right. Who she marries to help make Anna Karenina a success, which she's pretty blatant about. Like it doesn't seem like there was any love there. No, <laughs> it seems like it was just for the movie. Yep. To succeed. Yep. I realized at some point that the dresses that she says that she's auctioning off, like that's her cover for doing the story. It's like a mm-hmm. euphemism for her marriages. Like, they don't fit yeah. her anymore, so she's just giving them away <laughs> oh, at some that's point, you know? Because I, I thought it was funny that that's But at least she kept cover. the dresses all these years. True. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you? I would. For sure. Yeah, seriously. Should we get into... It was very hard for me to read the whole section of Celia and Evelyn's relationship. Oh, my God. Oh, we're just going in. Are we going in? We're just going. I mean, can we go into that? Yeah, I mean, it's a... I mean, that was the the most heartbreaking part of this, these chapters for me. It was was really... sweet. Well, so as I was reading it, I wanted to bring this up. I... Do you guys remember way back in the day... This was in 1997 when Ellen DeGeneres came out. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. So for some reason, when I when they when Evelyn and Celia started fighting, and you could really sense the love mm. and the unconditional love and the desire that she wanted to just be with her no matter what. If she would lose all her money, her family, her stardom, it didn't matter. She wanted to be with Evelyn, and I feel that. It was very courageous of Ellen DeGeneres to do that back in the day. Oh, but God, sure. Yes. And no matter what's happening right now, because I don't know if you guys have heard as of late that it's come out that Ellen is kind of two-faced and she's not necessarily I'm hearing the it. kindest person to her to audience members it. because I've always been such a huge supporter and a fan of hers. Me too. But then it made me start t- thinking of Anne Heche, which was Ellen DeGeneres' girlfriend mm. back oh, in the she, day. Yeah. And Anne Heche lost pretty much her career for about 15 years or so. Like once she came out being Ellen DeGeneres' girlfriend, Hmm. she hit rock bottom and didn't really have much of a career, couldn't get any jobs, couldn't get any bookings Hmm. until things kind of died down. Hmm. Right. That's a long time. But she did it for love. I did find, though, I... Like, I'm not questioning how Evelyn felt about Celia at all, but I did think it was a little weird that she had gone from making every little calculated move to moving up Mm. in her career and gaining the stardom that she has. And then all of a sudden, it was like none of that mattered anymore. Like, for this woman that at that point, I felt like she hadn't really spent that much time with her. Like, I wasn't I, I wasn't sure if that was more lust than it was love at the point mm. that that happened. Did mm. either of you feel like that, or you just bought into that? I bought into it immediately, especially because it seems like Evelyn has hit rock bottom when she makes this, when she finally full force goes after Celia. 
She's hit rock bottom. You know, Harry's just brought the paper, the divorce papers over. He's told her that Don wants her blackballed from mm. the Oscars. She knows Sunset Studios is going to start loaning her out to other people. Like, as far as she is concerned in that moment, she's lost everything. And she, to me, I felt like she was saying, like, if I'm going to lose everything, mm. I'm going to at least get the one fucking thing I want. And that's Celia. Mm. And maybe they don't get to be out together, but at least they have this little bit of time where they get to be together. Yeah, I get that. I just, I did, I thought it was interesting that there wasn't even like a glimmer of her being upset when she wasn't nominated for an Oscar. And it wasn't because she didn't even deserve it. It was just purely because of the situation, which still angered me. Like, I understand that you can still be like really, really happy for Celia, but we didn't even get any insight that she was upset or jealous about it when I was like, after all of that, that still has to really sting because it wasn't that she didn't deserve it. But I think that's Evelyn. I think she's scrappy. I think she's a fucking fighter. And I think anytime anything happens, her brain just immediately goes into this mode of like, how do I fix it? What's my next move? Yeah. How do I get back on top again? Mm-hmm. Like it feel it seems like her brain just immediately goes into production mode. What's sad is that she knew exactly what she needed to do and what she needed to do was like turn her face. The, the when she got a divorce with Don Adler, it was because of a, abandonment issues and she had to accept that and the studio decided to take Don and Adler's side pretty much shut her down because he was the one bringing in the money and she had to just accept that yeah so i i in a way i do agree with brandy that she is a fighter and that she's scrappy but it's really sad that the one thing that she truly wants she can't really have because she knows that if she does come out with it it will really be the end of her at least here she can start from scratch once again Mm -hmm. right I think that's the thing that broke my heart the most about these chapters that we read is the fact that these two people love each other so fucking much. And it hurt me so much that Celia keeps like almost begging her like Celia wants to come out. Celia wants them to be able to have their life together. And I think Evelyn is just the realist and she knows the consequences of what that would be. But as I was reading it, I just kept envisioning, like, my life with Jason. And, like, if somebody told me that I couldn't have that life or, like, I would risk being institutionalized or arrested or something. And I just felt like it was the fucking Handmaid's Tale or something. Like, it feels Uh like another world. Mm -hmm. But it's the real world that they lived in in the 1950s. Well, not even. Ellen, it was 1997. That's true. The executives true. at that time said that, like, they should, the the episode that she wanted to come out on, instead of coming out and being gay, that she should get a puppy instead. Because they didn't believe that that was something that would make oh, the episode work, that people would just not believe in it. And that's why that episode became the puppy episode, because they thought it was so laughable that an executive could say that. But I mean, in 1955, Iowa enacted a sexual psychopath law that's literally what it was called which literally allowed for the involuntary involuntary commitment of anyone charged with a public offense who possessed criminal propensities toward the commission of sex offenses Mm. 
And that year, 20 gay men were committed, even though none of them were sex offenders. So, like, that's literally how dangerous it is for Evelyn and Celia to come out. They could be institutionalized Mm -hmm. against their will. Yeah. And I kept wondering to myself, like, would Celia really do that? If Evelyn was like, fuck it, let's do it. Would Celia risk that? Does she know what's actually what the consequences are? Like, does she understand or is she a little bit head in the clouds? Like, I don't know the answer to that. But I mean, that does bring me back to pretty much where these chapters end, like where we end up at the end of this section. Yeah. When she leaves because she's so upset. That Evelyn slept with Mick, which, like, I get it. But in my mind, I was also like, but she had to do that to be with you. Right. And I know that brings, you know, it's a little more tricky than that. You know, like, did she really, though? Could Did she have to sleep with him? But if Celia really wants to be with Evelyn as badly as – that's a whole other conversation. Because I was going to say, like, if Celia (laughs) really wants to be with her that badly, then – I would think that she'd be like, this sucks, but like, thank you, because now we can actually try this. And instead, she left her. Right. So that really didn't answer your question at all. But that that is heartbreak. In a way, that's heartbreak, because at the end of these sections, when Celia is leaving, she says to Evelyn, I loved you so much that I thought you were the meaning of my life. Mm. It's it's heartbreak. It's loss. It's a sense of like, yeah. now what am I doing with myself? She, she felt betrayed. She, she felt, betrayed. felt genuinely betrayed. Yeah. Which I get. But it's also like, but she did it for the two of them. I know. There's still a part of me that sees how that was helpful for them, even though it sucks. No, I, I completely it. agree with I you. It. But that, I think that's part of why I keep questioning Celia's. I hope this word doesn't sound terrible, but like her seeming delusion about the realities that they face Mm. as two gay women Mm. in the 1950s trying to be in a relationship. You know what I mean? It seems like she's got her head stuck in the clouds a little bit about what the possibilities really are for the two of them. And I feel like Evelyn's the one who's having to bring her back down to earth and say like, hey... It's fucked up, but we can't do that. But here's the question. If they weren't in this industry, it would have been a lot easier for them. So if Evelyn would have chosen to give up her life as an actor and they were under wraps and they weren't like worried about the tabloid catching them. They just like ran away somewhere. But we're talking, we're literally talking about men in Iowa who were institutionalized against their will for being gay. You know what I mean? Like, not even two women. Th- those are men. I feel like that's... Which I feel like society actually would be harder on men being together than women than being women. together. Really? Yeah, I, think I think so, too. I was thinking the opposite, but who knows? Either way, like, m- maybe Evelyn could have given up fame and being an actor and all of that. But, like, it's still a very dangerous situation right. for them to be in if they come out. Yes, we have come a long way since the 1950s, but at the same time, I was just having a conversation recently with someone who is in a relationship, a female friend who's in a relationship with her girlfriend, Mm -hmm. but she comes from a very religious 
Christian family. Oh, gosh. And her parents don't know that she's with this woman, that she's with a woman at all and living with her. Mm-hmm. So that brought up a lot of questions that I was like, at, at some point, though, are you going to talk to your parents about the fact that you're right. with this woman? Because eventually, like, I don't know how you're going to keep that from them. You know, what if you want to get married? What if they want to visit? And not right. even not even things on the surface like that, but just for your own sake, for your own sanity and health and wellness, that has to really hurt to not be able to tell your parents that. And so it's kind of, you know, and now we're in 2021. I was about to say mm-hmm. 2020. Bye. Um, right. Anyway, so I think it's still... <laughs> I understand that that conflict, you know, of of choosing the person that you love and right. someone else or a, an entire society being at odds with that. And then how how are you supposed to? It just sucks. Like it just it just makes me so it's, angry that it that you does. can't. I hear you. Be happy with the person that you're with. It's it just unbearable. is so infuriating. Yeah, and you're so right that. You know, I'm I'm talking like in the 1950s, it was so dangerous. But like to Mariana's point and to your point, like, no, there are a lot of places in this country where it's still oh, yeah. hugely dangerous to be gay, to just be who you want to be, mm-hmm. to be transgender, to, you know, to be queer, to oh, be any yeah. of these things. I had a lot of uh, gay friends who at the time that Trump, there might be a chance that Trump no. would be reelected. And they were like, well, what do we do now? Like, is our, for us, same-sex marriage, is that going to be revoked? Like, right. what, what is that oh, going to be? You know? Because I have a lot of friends who, who were able to finally get married. And mm-hmm. then would that right be taken away from them because of this asshole? <laughs> like, it, it's it's crazy. It's horrifying. It's just horrifying. Well, I thought I thought another really interesting point that Evelyn made in the course of this breakup with Celia you know, Evelyn is bisexual. She considers herself bisexual. Mm -hmm. And so she says that after their breakup, she could potentially go on and marry a man to hide what she is, I guess. Or, you know, because she's bisexual, it could be legitimate for her. But Celia, she says, can't do that so easily Mm -hmm. because Celia's not bi. Mm -hmm. She's a lesbian. And it made me worry so much for Celia and her future Mm -hmm. because... Evelyn seems a little bit more flexible in a lot of different ways (laughs) than Celia, but Celia doesn't want to hide. And so I found myself really curious, and I really hope that the book does go into a little bit what happens to Celia Mm -hmm. after this. Yeah after this breakup and how she goes on to have a romantic life if she gets to have a romantic life and pursue her dreams. Well, I also want to know if she and Evelyn end up together because we find out that from when Celia breaks up with Evelyn, they didn't talk for five years. Mm -hmm. So we Mm -hmm. do know that they are going to reconnect. So I want to know. I'm really anxious to find out what happens to the two of them when they do. Like if they continue to see each other, Mm. if it just doesn't work out at all anymore. Yeah. I sort of felt like they don't. Like, I sort of felt like they don't rekindle. Just from the way that Evelyn is describing those moments to Monique and describing the regret she feels for not having reached out to Celia, I'm scared that they're not going to reconnect, which would just be 
tragic. I feel like they're going to reconnect, but Celia will already be with someone else. Oh. That's just my guess. Wait, so no like idea. they won't so like they won't get together. They just reconnect, but they don't. I mean, rekindle. I think the more exciting choice is that they do reconnect and they have like a moment and then Celia's like, actually I can't, like I'm with someone. I mean, I I'm completely making up I think what I oh want to happen God. or like what yeah. I think is gonna happen. But this that is just not hurt my heart. rooted in anything. Yeah. But yeah. I'm wondering because and I didn't think about this until now since Evelyn does have seven husbands so obviously we're going to go through many many more years of her story to get to where we are right right now I'm wondering if this is maybe the reason why she chose Monique because I was already curious before follow me here Monique is biracial Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is something that she's constantly been struggling with because Mm -hmm. people put her in a box see her as black which she's not black she has a white or either parent is white and black. Right. So there's a lot more to her than just what's on the surface. Right. And it seems that Evelyn, because she's bisexual, she's not full-blown lesbian, but she's not full-blown straight. So she has a lot of gray, a lot of nuance to who she is. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if she now is getting into the story that her deep secret is Celia because later on in life, she now wants to come out to the world with Celia. And that's why she chose Monique. Oh. Because there's the connection of, there's a lot more gray area that people are not willing to accept. And coming from a person who also has had to deal with not being put in a box. Right. That right. she will be the one person to fully understand her mm-hmm. and really re- tell her story without any judgment. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that, f- I think they're, I think Monique being biracial definitely has uh, some influence in why Evelyn feels yeah. more comfortable with her because she does understand that split between, you know, people say I'm white, people say I'm black, I'm both. You can be both. I think that's right. that's a really good point. Well, and I think Evelyn understands a shred of that, if only because she herself is Spanish, but that too as, right. as white. A white woman. I always yep. forget that actually. That's true. Yeah. 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 I always forget about that. I was thinking about that in the first episode, well, the first chunk of epi- chapters that we read for the first mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. What that was like for her to have to get rid of her Spanish accent. Her identity. Is that yeah, is that the correct identity. way to say that Spanish accent? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Well, I was just thinking about that because I remember when Ricardo moved to America, he mm. was really worried that he was going to lose his accent. You're kidding. Because it's a big part of He clearly didn't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he well he's only much, been here for two years. <laughs> right. And he's speaking Italian a lot still. So, And I don't think he, yeah. he ever will. But that was something that never even occurred to me that he might lose his accent. Yeah. But he was so concerned because that is so much of who, who he is. is. That that really puts into per, puts into perspective for me what that has done to Evelyn to have made that choice that she would get rid of that and essentially strip that part of her identity. Yeah. I forget all the time that she is Spanish. Yeah. Not that it's important, but it kind of is no, in context. No, but it is. It's, 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 who, it's, it's who she is. It's who she is. It says a lot about who she is, too, because it's something that 
she has sacrificed. Mm-hmm. There's there's a point somewhere where Celia and Evelyn are fighting and Celia is like, well, why can't we be who we really are? And Evelyn has already forgotten who she really is, because if you're starting from the beginning of her story, her story is her being Spanish. So she's right. she and she even makes a point of it that she's very good at carpamentalizing did i say that correctly because that's my, i like, have word. such a hard time with that word <laughs> Compart- compartmentalizing, compartmentalizing. Yeah. thank you and disassociating herself for things that bring oh, her pain oh my god mm-hmm. yes like she mentions that when she's back from Tijuana, when she's coming back from getting that abortion yeah so if she's very easily is she if she's so good at detaching herself from those things that like don't work for her to keep on moving forward, then she detaches herself from her Hispanic heritage and she detaches herself from being bisexual for the time being yeah. or from Celia to move on forward. So it's something she that survives. it's a pattern. Yep. This, well, going off of that dissociating thing, this fucking Mick Reva moment <laughs> where she's having sex with Mick Reva. Mm. It really fucking hurt me mm-hmm. for her. Mm-hmm. And I remembered that last week I said Evelyn does a lot of things to get what she wants, but it didn't seem to me like she ever gave more than she could handle. Mm-hmm. But reading this moment when she's forcing herself, basically, to have sex with him. Mm-hmm. And like you said, Mariana, it seems like she dissociates a little bit mm-hmm. in order to be able to do it. Right. I think these things she does while she's strong enough to hold her head high and like slog through them I think they have to be costing her a lot internally and like emotionally and I found myself wondering if this emotional damage isn't going to catch up with her at some point in the future I think it must and then I also realized for the first time that again while she's strong enough to do these things she's being forced to do them by a system that just isn't set up to work in her favor right and she's a champ in that she keeps like fighting Biden. through it. Yeah. But she shouldn't, you shouldn't have, have to, to do any of these things. It's so horrifying. I wanted to ask you guys about this McReba moment mm. because <sighs> I actually found it truly terrifying when she wakes up the next morning mm-hmm. and doesn't want to have sex with Mick. But he wants to. Mm. And she's she basically seems to know that if she says no, something could potentially go wrong. She's basically afraid he'll assault her. So in her mind, if she just lets him do what he wants, it's slightly better because at least she doesn't have to fear the violent aspect of having him force himself on her. Mm-hmm. So essentially, it's a yes to sex mm-hmm. when what she really wants to say is no hell no <laughs> she yeah i think she wants to say fuck, fuck you no. get the yeah. fuck out of here <laughs> yeah but i think that's something that we yeah. women we do it all the freaking time for a whole host of reasons ranging from feeling guilty mm-hmm. to not wanting to disappoint mm-hmm. to like evelyn being actually physically afraid of what might happen so i know this is super sensitive material but i'm curious have either of you had a gray area, wanted to say no, but said yes moment? And where does that come from? Why do we do that? Do men do it? Do they know that we do it? Well, Brandy, bravo. <laughs> I think for anyone that listened to our episodes 
on three women where we got into women faking orgasms. I think this is really closely related to that. Um, Unfortunately, to answer your question, if if either of us have had a gray area and wanted to say no but say yes, I can't even tell you how many times. You know, I can't like come up with like a single instance because I've done that ever since I was physically sexually active um and I've gotten better about it the older I've gotten but I do remember an instance in my 30s where I thought that maybe I had passed that where I did and I actually instead of just saying no (laughs) this is graphic I don't Mm. know if if we'll include this (laughs) instead of just saying no I came up with the excuse that I was on my period, even though I wasn't, mm. because I thought that he would then be like, oh, well, then never mind. But instead of that being his response, he was like, that's okay. So then I was like, oh, fuck. So then I made it worse because then I had to <sighs> go to the bathroom to remove my, you know, fake tampon and like pretend that I was dealing with that and then realize that I was just adding a lie on top of a lie mm-hmm. and and I still went through with it and I was yeah. like this is ludicrous mm. that's just one example but yeah I think where it comes from it's like we've discussed in in previous episodes I think it's that one like you just touched on it's this fear of not wanting to be disliked or not wanting mm-hmm. to exactly. um not want to make them feel unwanted I think about this currently in my marriage even, you know, like sometimes my partner wants it and I'm just not in the mood and I am more comfortable with him than anyone else or any other partner I've been with. And I still find myself sometimes having to be like, is that okay that I don't want to? Like I finally have to like reassure him that it's not about him, Mm -hmm, you know, and I know that he never thinks that, but I still have to verbally be like, I'm sorry. Is that okay? Yeah, which yeah. is so yeah. dumb. It's not dumb. I get I mean, it completely. It sucks that it sucks. It sucks. And and why are, are women so worried about the other gender's ego? Because I right. think it has to lo- has to do a lot with their ego and how For they're sure. going to feel Absolutely. lesser than and what they'll do as a as result. A result. Of that. And like, I never worry that my husband will will do anything physical right you know but i do worry that over time like if it happened more regularly that he would start to question himself you know and Mm. then like what how does that spiral i don't want him to have any insecurities because it's truly not about him but i think it is hard to make that distinction that I don't know. It's like men don't believe when you say that it's not them, it's you. You know, that it's me, it's right. not you. I think they well, really you like, don't understand that. totally believe it either if they said yeah. well, <laughs> You know what I mean? Right. There would be a part of you that wondered. Unless, unless they're going through something like emotional or like if they right. have a really hard day. You know what I mean? Like, of course I would yeah. understand that. Mm-hmm. But it right. is interesting that they have to have an excuse like that where it's mine can just standard. be, I'm just tired or I just don't want to. And that that can be enough. That has to be Mm -hmm. enough. Yeah, it should be. Don't you also think that we base, at least I I found this very interesting when Evelyn brought this up, that we base intimacy on 
Mm. Being honest with one another and being truthful yeah. with one another. That intimacy doesn't necessarily have to be about sex. I and just I feel listened like as, to a podcast episode about this. It was literally <laughs> called Does Ooh. Intimacy Equal Sex? <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Do you I'm remember the name of you. the podcast? Yeah, who's it? It's Goop. It? It's Goop podcast. Oh, it's Goop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, of course. We love Goop. Um, but but it, it's so... I don't know how to put this. It's it's so different for us because I I I always go with my heart. I always go about how I'm feeling emotionally, and that will allow me to open up and be vulnerable physically and mentally with right, someone else. Right. So it is for me. It's always if I'm at that place. Right. For men, it doesn't seem like, as Brandy said, it doesn't seem like it has to be that way because men. Yeah, they can just wake think, up and be ready to go. Yeah. Before like you've even said good morning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I've done this a lot of times. And once for sure I did do it because I was afraid of what I was afraid of what might happen oh, if really? I said no. And that really plagues me, the idea that I would have to be afraid like that. I hate it. Mm. But I've also done it just like you guys. I've I've done it because I'm too fucking tired to have a whole discussion about it. And I'd rather just do it and get it over with right. than deal with like what's really wrong. Like I don't really want to fucking take an hour to talk about it when we can take 30 minutes and just do it. And then I don't have to do anything else. But I've, I've done it because things have progressed and I didn't want to seem like a tease. Mm-hmm. I, I'm reading Jane Fonda's uh, biography right now. Oh, you're Ooh, very much she, on a Jane Fonda <laughs> kick. Yeah. I, I fucking love her. <laughs> but she shares this quote from a woman named Catherine Steiner Adair that I thought was so prescient to this conversation. She says, I was doing research in an elementary, middle, and high school. And sometimes we would thank the students by getting them pizza for lunch. When I would ask the girls what they wanted on their pizzas, the 10-year-olds would say, extra cheese with pepperoni. The 13-year-olds would say, I don't know. And the 15-year-olds would say, whatever. So that's the literal progression. We go from fully being ourselves to claiming we don't know what we want to just wanting to be easy and please people. Mm. We don't say what we want because we've been brainwashed into believing that it's better to hurt ourselves or to be unhappy ourselves than it is to upset anyone remotely. Man. I really is, feel that. That's yeah. so sad. really sad. Do you feel like now, though, you would say extra cheese and extra pepperoni? I feel like now I definitely would. And obviously, like you said, especially with my husband, like I don't feel like I have to sugarcoat anything with Jason. If I don't want to, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do it. But I do still have that impulse, like what you described, to like make sure he's okay. Mm -hmm. Or like if I want something, I'm sort of very careful to make sure that I justify it by being like, well, I want this, but I'm cool with going with the group, too. Like, I'll voice what I want, mm-hmm. but, like, I'm happy to go with group consensus. Like, I'm still easy, y'all. I'm still chill. I'm still cool. <laughs> I can still hang. I want this, but right. I'll be down for whatever. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. You know? It's interesting for me, though, because I can remember one specific instance where I had the moment that I was fearing if I didn't say yes, that something else would happen. But I was saying no 
physically, mm. even though I kind of wanted it. But in I was going back and forth in my mind because I'm like, I want this, but do I really want this? Is he the person that I'm going to lose my virginity to? Mm. And then I I stopped it, but it was it was the type of thing that I I can go back to that place where I was just wanting to be liked by this man so much. And because mm-hmm. I was younger, I wanted to really show that I could be a little bit more, uh, more mature, more mature and more of a woman and the woman that he desired or that he was desiring at that moment. But that was the only moment because I've, I've actually, I'm like, I'm going to praise myself that I've been very good about if I don't want it, I usually I'm good about saying no, but I still want to make sure that the partner is okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm in between because I want to make sure that, that that my partner is okay. And especially now with Andrew, I always want to make sure that he's okay. Right. But I'm not going to go and but do But I don't it. think that's something to criticize yourself for either. Like wanting no. your partner to know that, you know. Of course I, not. Yeah. But, but I, I think it's kind you. of amazing that you can only think of one instance because I have like so many yeah. in yeah. my, yeah, that's... In probably in mostly in my 20s probably were like, I did not want to do something and I did it. But anyway. we're, I'm just talking about sex now, like completely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I yeah. think we are too, which <laughs> is really sad. But it's fun, so funny to me because I do a lot of things in my life on a daily basis that I don't want to do because I want to be approved by others but when it comes to intimacy to sexual intimacy i'm very i guess i'm very strong in that regard not to say that you guys aren't but there's something in me that holds my ground when i don't want to do it it's because i don't feel connected to you yeah and i need to feel connected to you because then i just i can't i just can't i mean on the flip side of this i remember a time i was sleeping with a guy that i really really liked i mean we were dating we were seeing each other and the Like, I think the second time that we had sex, I was like, you know, you don't have to use a condom. And he was like, wait, what? Oh, boy. And I was like, if you don't want to, you don't have to. Because I thought that that's something that he would like. I thought that he would be like, oh, great. This woman's amazing. And instead, he was like, that's so stupid. What's wrong with you? He was like, of course I'm going to use a condom. And then, Mm. then I felt even more dumb because he was being responsible and I was trying to give him something he hadn't even asked for that I thought would right. would be really sexy to him. And in doing so, I looked like an idiot. And I was like, God, of course. Yeah. Like, So it's interesting how it's a different scenario. But still, in that situation, I was mm-hmm. still doing something that I didn't necessarily want or need. Mm-hmm. to do something and it just slapped me in the face mm-hmm. dude so. but good on that guy I for know. being like no we're gonna use a condom <laughs> i know i applaud I, that <laughs> it was classy good for him. <laughs> i know yeah well speaking of condoms this whole oh. situation with mick <laughs> not yeah using a one condom. night oh. she got done in one night oh my and God. she knew it already like she had already talked about he won't use a condom and even Though women, you know, have gotten a hold of birth control pills, you don't have them because you had no need for them until a few days ago when you hatched this plan. So Mm. it's when they were talking, when she was creating this whole plot 
to fix her relationship with Celia or at least keep well, it under wraps. Well, and she say something to the effect of like married women don't need that stuff because she had been purporting she was trying to get pregnant with Dawn and then she was single. So she wasn't, ha- quote unquote, wasn't having sex. And then now with Mick, again, she's married. So like, again, married women don't need contraception. Yeah. They're trying to pop out babies left and right. Mm-hmm. Which is also another, like, mm-hmm. eye roll. It is an eye roll. We should be giving girls contraception the moment <laughs> they get their period. Yeah, they, they, they can. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I'm wondering if Evelyn was using contraception when she was with Dawn. Oh, good question. Because it seemed to me that she created these miscarriages. That they were having right. sex because she really, she did seem to want him. Right. But she never. She never got pregnant. Conceived. Oh, no, she did him. have a. Oh, yeah. She faked the miscarriage. She faked it. But then. That's true. One night with Mick. She's she, pregnant. She was pregnant. I mean, that could just be Mick's. <laughs> Mick's boy. Mick's voodoo sperm. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put it past Evelyn to have gotten her hands on some birth control pills. Right. That would have also had to be really sneaky, though, because if any if that had like leaked from her doctor or something that she was taking birth control, she would have been dragged. True. Right. But it seems like at this point when she's with Don, the studio is still happy to help her maybe make some of these things happen. And at this time, studios had their own like doctors yeah. on the payroll and stuff. Yeah, right. so That's true. that would have probably been pretty secure. Yeah. One thing that I wanted to kind of talk to you guys about and it's something that I don't think the three of us have ever discussed is the whole notion of divorce and what that feels like Mm -hmm. or what or how it would feel like and I was very touched by this exchange that Evelyn had with Monique when Evelyn explained her general feelings on divorce and she described heartbreak is loss but divorce is a piece of paper Evelyn considers herself not to be a cynic, but a realist and regards divorce as not only a contract, but a failed marriage. Though this distinction never crossed Monique's mind when she's talking about her own, I guess, quote unquote, failed marriage. Mm. I personally have thought of divorce as an enormous loss where the couple has failed in a way to make this lifetime bond work. I imagine it to be the most significant heartbreak one you could never bear, aside from losing your significant other, of course, Mm. to death. How do you married ladies feel about divorce? I mean, on what side of the coin do you find yourselves now? Do you lean more towards Evelyn's realistic yet cynical point of view, depending on how you're looking at it, or that of Monique's idealistic, romantic point of view? I imagined, I also imagined divorce would be a huge loss and completely heartbreaking unless you were never really truly in love with them, which is why I think Evelyn views it as a piece Mm. of paper. Mm. She said she wasn't heartbroken when Don left her. She just thought her marriage had failed. But I think that's because deep down it was never about Don. I imagine that if she and Celia got married and they divorced, then she would experience great loss because the way she felt about Celia is very different from how she felt about the other husbands. 
at least the ones that we've heard about thus far. (laughs) I know we still have several more to go. Yeah. Like the three of us got married with the intentions of creating a partnership with a person that we've decided that we want to stay with through good and hard times and that we're Mm -hmm. willing to put in the work when things get tough. Mm-hmm. But that's not the reason Evelyn got married to any of those husbands. Right, Again, right. so far anyway. So I don't think, I don't know. I don't think the impetus for divorce is so black and white, though. I think mm-hmm. it is, it's one thing to divorce because you're not communicating the way that you used to and you've hit a breaking point where neither of you are willing to put in the work or you are trying, you are putting in the work and it's just not working anymore. But it's quite another thing to divorce because one of you severely fucked up. And then I'm glad that divorce is so readily available because Mm -hmm. you shouldn't be forced to stay with someone who's doing terrible things. 100%. So there are just, there's so many reasons why marriages don't work out. And I don't think that we can as Evelyn says, put them in a box mm-hmm. saying it's either because it failed or it didn't fail. It's too complicated for that. But, you know, there are some countries where women aren't allowed to make that call. It, like divorce right. can only come from the husband. Mm-hmm. So regardless of how I feel, I am grateful that we live in a world where women can. Where we can. Make that choice decide. if they choose. Yeah. 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 I think the distinction as I read it that Evelyn was making was. I felt like she, when she said heartbreak is lost, divorce is a piece of paper, I felt like she was saying, don't lament this piece of paper. Don't lament the divorce. Oh. Lament the heartbreak. Lament what you've lost. But to me, that says, like, don't feel oh. like a loser to other people. Like, they don't matter. What matters is you lost something you had with another person. That's what should hurt. It shouldn't Mm. be what other people are perceiving of your marriage. You know what I mean? That makes sense. Which I think is like I can. I'm a thousand percent for people getting a divorce. Nobody should have to stay in a situation where they're unhappy. I think with me and Jason, I've obviously just never thought that that could be a possibility because we're so happy, which I'm mm-hmm. sure I'm sure everybody feels like that <laughs> about their marriage until a certain point. Sure. Um, but yeah, I feel like if somehow things got so fucking horrible that we ended up in a place of divorce, I think I think exactly what she's saying is what I would miss. I would miss the intimacy that we had. Mm-hmm. I would m- I would mourn the loss of that deep, deep connection and friendship. The divorce sucks. Splitting the things sucks. But, like, that's what would fucking hurt. That precious Mm -hmm. thing we had that is just gone Mm -hmm. now. This is really hard (laughs) because, for me, divorce and loss they're not mutually exclusive Mm. like i see kind of the idea of divorce and the idea of heartbreak and loss being intertwined that's why Mm. i wanted to Mm -hmm. like kind of pose this question and i don't know if it's because of my upbringing because i have parents that have been married for 39 years who've known each other for almost 50 years who have been inseparable ever since who now for the past Six plus weeks, I've witnessed like the relationship that they've been able to build on and Mm. the way they treat themselves and the way they treat each other and how they take care of each other. So for me, that was always such an inspiration Mm -hmm. that Mm. 
the idea of failing in my marriage, and I see it as a failure, and this is my personal opinion, the idea of failing in my marriage would be such a disappointment and such a like awful thing because I grew up with seeing that this unconditional love of like this soulmate thing where they found each other so young in their lives. But I bet you're like, I don't imagine that I, I get what you're saying, but I don't imagine that your parents would like look at you any differently or judge you. Absolutely not. You know I, mean? I think it's absolutely not. They would support I think, you 100%. Yeah. Right. Because it would be whatever would make me happy. Right. But I, I can of never course. fathom right now the idea of Andrew and I ever getting to that place. Right. But the idea of that happening, I don't know how I would be able to handle that. Mm-hmm. So. I hear that. Yeah. Let's talk about Monique for a second because we're abandoning. <laughs> oh my gosh, her. we haven't talked about. Yeah, we haven't talked about I that storyline at all. We quickly in the beginning touched on, or in your recap, Brandy, we talked about how she finally asked fucking Frankie for what she yeah. wanted. And I was so proud of her. Same. I don't really have anything so to say other than that. And it other seems than, like, like Evelyn's kind of proud of her, too, yeah. even though she brought this ultimatum to Evelyn. It seems like Evelyn's giving her a little nod of approval. Oh, yeah. She's teaching she, her Evelyn how to... Evelyn Hugo. Evelyn Hugo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, she's teaching her how to get the respect that she deserves. It's like she's passing that on the yeah, torch. Yeah, she's passing the torch. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to give a little shout out. Can we talk about Harry? I fucking love Harry. Oh, Harry. This moment when he takes care of Evelyn when they're, you know, when she's going to get the abortion and he takes her. Oh, my God. This speech he gives her when she asks, am I a whore? I just thought like god damn anybody would be lucky to have this man as a friend yeah. he so completely has her back he's a good in one in every situation even when he shouldn't you know when he's the an executive at sunset studios and he's still helping the actress that they released from her contract get you know meetings in paris or whatever like he's helping her at every turn even when he shouldn't mm-hmm. And at this moment when she's so vulnerable and she's just broken it off with Celia, who calls her a whore. I know. And I was not. I was so surprised by that. I was shocked by that, too, because that's kind of, um, I don't know, that's something you would expect a a man to say to a woman. But I did not see it coming from a woman to a woman. She's hurt. She's so hurt. But I loved it that even in this moment, Harry just like he says the perfect thing thing and he takes care of her and he takes her home and he stays with her that night and they just seem like the best of friends and i just i just fucking love harry that's all that's all i have to say (laughs) i do too in some ways i thought you know he's even though they don't have sex because they're both you know because he's gay uh, in some ways, I was like, this This is maybe the great love of her life. This is the... Absolutely. As much as Celia is somebody who she could be intimate with, Celia left. Harry sticks by her, no matter what. Well, and that's... So far, at least. You know, when we were talking about the difference between intimacy and sex, I think mm-hmm. her relationship with Harry is 
pure intimacy. Intimacy. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes from the way that they support each other and see each other. And their worldview is the yeah. same. Yeah. And I think that's the problem she has with Celia is their worldviews are different. Mm. And the, the the support that they have for one another, it's not only physical, but it's also metaphorical. Because he even she even says, it's okay, you can fall now. Mm. Like she's describing their relationship and I'll catch you, talking about Harry. And she finally falls and he, and catches, he catches her. her. And that's all you want. In the long run, that's all you want from any type from of anyone. relationship. Yeah. Whenever you're down. You. Mm-hmm. And that you feel mm. safe enough to be caught. I also really loved what he said when she asked if, if he thinks she's a whore. And he said, if every woman Ugh. expected something in return when she had sex with a mm-hmm. man, women would be running the fucking world. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. Like, truly. Completely. It's something I feel like that has been demonized because there's power in it. Right. And yet we do sort of still live by that, which goes back to the conversation mm-hmm. of why we say yes mm-hmm. sometimes when mm-hmm. we want to say no. Mm-hmm. Well, circling back to Celia, because I feel like these chapters, it's really, it's not her story, but it's Evelyn and Celia is the, the mm-hmm. heart of. Yeah. Totally. Of what we read. Yeah. yeah. So I'm really curious. We didn't actually touch on this when we were talking about them earlier, but I'm really curious about how this relationship between the two of them unfolded from Evelyn's mm-hmm. point of view. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that as soon as she found out that Celia was gay was when she decided or maybe realized that she was bi. Mm. Was it because she hadn't known any women prior to her that were openly gay, which I feel like is probably true? And that yeah. helped her feel comfortable being who she always knew she was? Or was Celia the first woman that brought that out in her? Mm. So I wanted to ask you if either of you have ever had a Celia in some way or another in your life. Not someone who necessarily changed your sexual preference, but someone who made you look at who you could be differently mm. or shifted your perspective on what you always believed were true inside of you. To kind of your first couple of questions, while you were asking them, I started thinking, because we're talking about all this black and white and gray area, if there is this type of intimacy or honesty or comfortability with someone, you can really fall in love with that person no matter what gender they are, because if you're not bi or if you're not a lesbian or if you're not gay because that person brings out the best in you. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know from Emmeline's perspective, like, I'm not sure if it was because she was the first person they came on to her, the first woman they came on to her, or if it was because the first woman that opened that up in her, that lust and that desire for another right. woman. But I think it all comes down to that she found someone who really saw her. And I think this is a theme, again, that we've read through every single book, that if you're understood and you're seen by another individual, you feel love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you've never felt that love before, you're going to reciprocate that love. Right. Even if it's not a sexual thing, there's going to be just this desire to be that with that individual that makes you feel good. And there's been moments along the way that I've had females in my life who've shown me that love including you two that have shown me like you know that I can own my shit that I can 
be beautiful, that I can feel beautiful, that I can feel respected, that I can feel liked. Mm. So I'm not going to give any a particular person because there was one person back in high school who really did, who was such a beautiful person to me who showed me who like who I could be but I think in general I'm just going to say that there's when you feel the love it doesn't matter mm-hmm. where it's coming yeah. from yeah of course of course yeah I mean going off of that I had a very brief relationship with a woman when I was in my 20s and it was something that like I wasn't looking for necessarily it just kind of happened but what I found like most liberating about the whole thing is kind mm. of like what we were talking about earlier, this idea that when it's a relationship between men and women, sometimes there's this fear of mm. what happens if you say no or like mm. it just kind of feels like an uneven ground sometimes mm. yep. that you're standing on. And that was one of the things that I found most incredible about this relationship as short as it was that it felt so equal Mm. and it's crazy how that weird unevenness Mm. didn't exist at all. Like I don't know that I had realized how much in my head it made a difference Mm -hmm. between men and women. You know, when you're, when you're dating there, it's just a mental shift that you make. And because she was a woman, it was just different and it felt even and it felt equal. And that was easy. Hmm. And I feel like from that, I was able to take something into relationships moving forward, even relationships that were with men. Hmm. If that makes any sense. Yeah, Yeah. of course. I felt the same, actually, because I I kind of did have a Celia very different from Evelyn's, but... I was really good friends with a woman who's gay. Well, I should clarify, we're still really good friends. <laughs> but several yeah. years ago, I had a physical relationship with her that was just one night. But I really came to love her. Mm. Although not romantically, I did feel like a sort of kinship with her that I hadn't mm. felt about another woman before. And I felt like she could have been not necessarily my soul mate. Mm. It's hard to explain, but I felt like her soul like understood my soul and she really saw oh me and got me. And I felt the same to her. That's beautiful. And I loved spending time with her. And then as time went on, she started trying to be physical with me and I, I ignored it because I had never been with a woman before and mm-hmm. I didn't want to give her the wrong impression. Like I thought that maybe if I hooked up with her, it would open the door to her thinking I might be gay. And I knew that wasn't the case um, and I didn't want to hurt her, but it was the first time yeah. that I thought, well, maybe I could just be with who I wanted to be with, like you said, regardless of their gender. Mm-hmm. Like Evelyn said, don't fit me into a box. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. So anyway, course. one St. Patrick's Day, we were both really drunk, which is not a great place to start, I guess. But I decided to like <laughs> give it a try, and I let myself be with her. And it was the only time that it happened, and it didn't ruin our friendship in any way. I just realized that that wasn't going to work for me long term. Mm, yeah. So I ended that there. But it did stir up some feelings for me, like what that meant about who I was, even mm-hmm. though I know it didn't change me, and it didn't mean that I was a different person. If anything, I came out of that feeling like I – 
don't have to be so rigid about who I can be with based on how yeah. I identify myself as a heterosexual woman. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I can say that I find some women to be incredibly sexy, but that doesn't mean I want to be with them romantically. Yeah. So it did kind of just like give me this freedom in a way that um, – and, you know, even now, like I, I, I'll meet certain women that kind of like stir something up in me and I'm like, this is so interesting. Like what is that? And it yeah. doesn't mean that I want to like – explore that physically I just it has shifted my perspective like I said yeah yeah that's really interesting and I I feel like just what you said about not feeling the need to be so rigid that really Mm -hmm. and it it makes me wonder what other things I'm being rigid about Mm -hmm. that don't need to be that rigid do you know what I Uh mean I feel like experiences like that just open you up it so opens much. you up. Yeah. Yeah. It opens you up to accept the energy, the love, yeah. the respect, all of that. There's something about it opens you up to what could be. Yeah. And it opens you up to who you could be. Yes. If you didn't keep yourself hemmed into this perceived box. idea right. of who you are. Yeah, this box. Yeah, I know. I've said you that so many times. But it I says Emma. That, so. Yes, <laughs> DJ M's with her box. Do not put me in the box. <laughs> you never thought you'd be DJ M's. You thought you were Emma. Yeah. But Mariana came along and opened your world. I love my new identity. <laughs> you even have the headphones to go with it. And like... <laughs> The headphones and the mic. (laughs) Okay, ladies. I have one final question about these chapters. (laughs) Bring it. With Celia and Evelyn's breakup, which was completely heartbreaking, so I don't Mm -hmm. mean to make light of it, but I couldn't (laughs) help thinking of the Ross and Rachel, we were on a break conundrum. To me, it seemed perfectly clear that the break was not a breakup Mm. and that Ross shouldn't have slept with the girl from the copy place. And it seemed perfectly clear that Evelyn was going to have to sleep with gullible Mick Riva when she hatched this scheme to go on a date with him in the first place. So I want to know, what did you ladies think? Was Ross and Rachel's break a breakup? And did Evelyn cheat on Celia, or was it understood she was going to have to sleep with Mick? Ross and Rachel, it was a break, not a breakup. He should have never slept with a coffee girl. And with Celia and Evelyn, it was understood. I get why Celia was hurt. But if you're going to go to Vegas... (laughs) <laughs> and elope cheers uh, to that one night in Vegas baby that that went on in Vegas did not stay in Vegas that should have been understood agreed okay Emma ditto ditto <laughs> <laughs> alright well that was quick alright Randy you answer she did uh, I did oh you just said it <laughs> <laughs> the night in Vegas is getting strong. Yeah, Sorry. you did literally just say that. Oh my. Oh my. <laughs> Somebody cut Emma off immediately. I'm done where, already. Where is our dealer? He needs to cut Emma off. <laughs> dealer, <laughs> no more chips for you. <laughs> uh, you need to cash out immediately. Yeah, ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> That's all the gambling puns I got. <laughs> all right, y'all. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have a question for us or a point about the book that you'd like us to discuss, shoot us an email at arethesebooksdrunk at gmail.com. Yes. Oh. Yeah, we have an email address. Hello. Yeah, we have Hello. 2021. <laughs> Just going to restate, we are an open book and we would love to hear your Woo-woo. thoughts. Yeah. What do you agree or disagree with? I know sometimes we go in really deep down into a lot of subjects or maybe what you think we missed during our Ola de Felicidad, but we wouldn't mind a review too, maybe. <laughs> we wouldn't mind a review. <laughs> <laughs> we love a review. <laughs> okay. Like right now. (laughs) Next week, we'll be reading chapters 31 to 51. Well, I hope those are short chapters. That's a lot of chapters. That's a lot of chapters. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you're following us on Instagram at Are These Books Drunk for some sneak peeks into the episode with our audiograms and to find out next week's cocktail pairing so that you can read along and sip along with us. Because it's always happy hour in Vegas. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Until next time. Bye, y'all. Bye, ladies. Ciao.